This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Zach, that's Eric, that's Matt. Guys, y'all are familiar with this whole thing. We're right in the middle of a historical narrative, right? And as I've said before, and as I've teed it up on the last one, the book of Nehemiah is probably my favorite book of the entire Old Testament. And I know for some people, they're like, wait a minute. I mean, you got Genesis, Exodus, you got, you know, First uh, and 2 Samuel, you got all these great things, Psalms, Proverbs. But for me, I just feel like there's so much here. And it's kind of a something that, that does get ignored. And when you get into Nehemiah 2, this is really where the rubber starts to meet the road a little bit. But Matt, one thing that you and I were talking about uh, yesterday is you, I thought this was interesting for you. The book of Nehemiah was like, it was there in the Bible, but it was just, it was never like really a focus for you. You just didn't really, I guess, see a lot there. But then during this whole study period, it's kind of come to life for you a little bit. Yeah. I, I knew that Nehemiah built a wall. That was about it. And I, I didn't, didn't really pay attention to it very much. And it was just that, yeah, like you said, it was just there. It was just part of the Bible. And yeah, now going through it, it has turned into one of my favorite books as well. So what about for you guys? I'm curious because like, I don't really know where my fascination with this came. I, maybe it was like 10 years or so. My, my wife and I were visiting a church for a short time and they were in the middle of that series and their logo for the series or lesson series or whatever was like a sword and a shovel and stuff like that. I was like, oh yeah, that was pretty cool. Like I was attracted to that, but it, it just, for whatever reason, it just gripped me. And for you guys, it's like, has it ever been that way? And I know Zach, you're more of a new Christian. So it's like, you're probably trying to get square on like, you know, Genesis and Exodus, maybe not digging into all the other stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's similar, similar, but more recently, it's just like I read this. I'm like, gosh, I read tons of leadership books. Well, here's the best leadership book right there, right in front of me. You oh, know, it's, exa- it's I think that's a great point. That's exactly right. Yeah, and it's you know, it's got a wonderful vision. Well, well I know we'll get into this, but you know, he's got the guy's organized. The guy's got a plan. You know, and I just think that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I was familiar with Nehemiah in the sense that, you know, you have, you grow up, you go to church, you go to, you go to Bible school and all that stuff. So I'm aware of the fact they built the wall and that they were having to uh, hold a weapon and, and build with one hand kind of a deal. That was probably the extent. After I read it, that's definitely one place that I went from a leadership perspective. But also, I think the fact that uh, there's a prophecy element to it, you consider what happened in Daniel, mm-hmm. the fact that you can go online if you've never been and I haven't and see remnants of this structure and get a sense of what was actually taking place and how difficult that would have been. And the fact that they did it in 52 days under tremendous pressure, there's just a lot there to, I think, to appreciate. And then one thing I'd add to that is the way that this book is written and the level of detail in some of the chapters we'll go through, to me, jumps out as the authenticity of the Bible because they're recording so many details. And Mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, literature from that time period, it's my understanding that it wouldn't look like this very often. When you just got done uh, with a fairly intensive business school uh, education and things like that, and there's so many business lessons going on in here, not just leadership lessons. And also side note, I don't know if it's just the chair you're sitting in, but the last guy that sat in that chair about broke the table the number of times he was banging on it. So if you clowns can stop talking with your hands and banging on the forging table, like I said last time, 
God gave me one forging table. If we break this one, we don't get another one, okay? Gotcha. So can we maybe relax just yeah. a little bit over there? Yeah, didn't even know I did it. You're hyped. Bad. Dude, <laughs> you guys don't know this. We're recording this fairly early in the morning on yeah. a Saturday. And so like everyone just settle down. We, we got we got a long, right. long ways ahead of this us. This is the coffee. <laughs> it is coffee. But <laughs> but going into to Nehemiah 2, here's the, the very first thing I wanted to talk about. And there, there's so much here. I, I, you know, to try to get it into an hour chunk is going to be really difficult. But whenever you first read the the book of Nehemiah and you go from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah 2, you're thinking, oh, he was really, really sad about the walls of Jerusalem and his people and all these different things, a city he's never been to. And then he prayed and then boom, he uh, went and talked to King Artaxerxes. Nope. nope. We're, the, the shortest timeline between learning about what happened in Jerusalem to talking to King Artaxerxes that I found was three months. But most of the people that I looked at said it was about four months. So for four months, Nehemiah was praying, lamenting, repenting, and planning. And we'll, we'll get more into that. You can clearly see it. But I don't know about for you guys, but that, it didn't blow my mind. I mean, we, we use that way too often. That's kind of hyperbolic. But I was like, I just missed that because you just read right from here to the next thing and you don't really think, no, no, no. There was a lot of things that happened between now, or between the first thing and the second thing. Well, I think you can definitely miss it if you're not looking for it. And I think the intentionality of God's word is so apparent here when they use the months of the Jewish calendar. And I mean, all throughout, all throughout the, the book of Nehemiah, they're, they're using months. And so that gives you a picture of, of what is actually happening. So yeah, from the time he finds out to the time he actually goes to the king, it is months. And there's a lesson there to like fervently pray. And it's not just a, okay, I learned about it. I prayed and now I'm going to go do something. Like he spent hours and days praying to God. What a lesson to learn. Yeah. And, and then waiting, you know, yeah. obviously for that opportunity <clears throat> whenever it, may, it would come. And, and I think that's, that's an interesting thing. I mean, when something really grips us like, like this gripped him, uh, which that, that's a discussion even in itself. I mean, just, it, it wasn't like a one-time prayer. It wasn't like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm gripped by this. I'm just pray it through. Okay. And then I'm done. It was over and over and over thinking, 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 planning, planning, planning. When can I have this opportunity? Lord, give me this opportunity. And then just being patient with that process uh, up until the point where he meets with the king. Yeah. And, and he, it, it'll go on to say here in just a minute that, you know, he had to be pleasant and nice all day long yeah. with this king. And at night, or when, you know, when he's not there, obviously he has his, uh, his issues that he's going through, that, which clearly were, were really, uh, really challenging for him. But I think it, it speaks to what the Bible says in, in terms of withholding your spirit, containing that. And, uh, you, you know, really putting your faith and trust in God. Cause I think from my perspective, that could be very difficult to do. Um, and, and obviously we'll get to what happens here in just a minute. One also timing, you know, we got a lot of timing <laughs> guys. I'm just going to start donkey Kong at right my, my table. Every You're time I talk, my... can y'all pick that up <laughs> hey, on the mic? Yeah, you that's, can. That's great. That's great. <laughs> no timing. And I'm horrible at this cause I'm so impatient, mm -hmm. but he was looking for the right time to bring his thoughts to King Artaxerxes. And right from the first verse of the second chapter, we have a predicament here because as yeah. it says here, reading from the ESV, now I had not been sad in his presence. And then verse two, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because King Artaxerxes was a God, little G God, but he was a God. And if you're in the presence of God and you're sad, that makes no sense. Right? Yeah, right. And so right then and there, he could have, he could have lost his life. 
just by looking like, just looking like that. And so, uh, again, that, that's the thing that, that's interesting to me is that he was so depressed that he, he knew he could fake it, but he'd gotten to the point where it's like, I can't fake it any right. longer. And he wasn't emotionally manipulating King Artaxerxes. Right. He was just like, I, I can't withhold this anymore. And then we get into <clears throat> verse three where he's basically describing, <clears throat> yeah, you know, the, the land of my forefathers lies in ruin. And then really the big, the big part that really launches the entire book of Nehemiah is then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So I want to camp there for a little bit because the king doesn't know why he's sad or now he knows that he's sad, but he doesn't know. So, so what you've told me this information that I already knew, by the way, because as we see back in the book of Ezra, he had already said, no, we're not going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Like those types of things. Like I get it. But now Nehemiah has his opportunity as opposed to launching into his fully fledged out and perfectly planned a bullet pointed plan. He stops and prays. And I'll be real honest. I don't really do that. I launch right into my plan. Why? Because I made this plan. Look how good this plan is. And now it's time to go ahead and execute the plan. But as we've seen with Nehemiah, even just in this short period in uh, chapter one and chapter two, he stops and prays. Yeah. I mean, this is a buildup, you know, for the previous three or four months, he's been praying. He's been meditating. He's been thinking and, um, and talking with God on this. And in that moment, I just assume it's like, here's my opportunity. Lord, give me the words. Yeah. Lord be with me. It probably wasn't some long winded prayer. It was just, this is what I've been waiting for. Let's get after it. Yeah. The, the Bible doesn't really have a lot about Nehemiah outside of Nehemiah. In fact, I think Nehemiah is the only place that he's actually in the Bible. Is that, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that he's only here. In yeah, I don't his think book. he's mentioned in Ezra. So no. we learn a lot about Nehemiah. And so I mean, me and Kyle were talking earlier about how God uses specific things and he, and he drops, he drops things and events working towards his ultimate plan in real history. And so in, in the context of history, Jerusalem had been conquered. People had been moved out. Nehemiah was, was not living obviously in Jerusalem. And so <clears throat> throughout the Bible, people who are like God's people who are not in the presence of God all the time, and they're not in Jerusalem, they're not in the promised land, like they lose faith so fast. So the fact that Nehemiah is serving a, a little G God King, and he's not, like, he's not, there's not really a temple for him to go to. So he's not actively in the presence of God for him to have the faith and the trust in God that he had is really inspiring to me because he wasn't you know, it's it's different than when you know they had the tabernacle and and, and people and, and god's people were, were communing with him every day and so the fact that you learned so much about him like he trusted god he prayed like very fervently but then he also knew that he had to appeal to the earthly authority that god had established and he says let the king live forever saying, Hey, I serve you. And I, I, and so that man, what this guy (laughs) is one of the greatest figures in the Bible. Um, old Testament for sure. I like the application, you know, kind of question that you brought up there. Cause that was, that's kind of where I went. Um, I think first of all, the fact that he spent four months is huge Yeah, uh, because this is kind of an instant message, right? Like, Hey, please help me up. But there's been a lot of time invested in everything. 
But then I think kind of where you were going with this is back then, you know, not only is he a little G God, but he's, you know, he's the king and all that sort of thing. He's saying a prayer in my, in my mind, almost like you would say a prayer in front of a judge that's getting ready to make a huge decision. And you have no clue where it could go. It could be mm-hmm. that you're banished, you're fine, or you're killed. That kind of thing. So if you think about your life, um, I mean, how, how often can you put this into practice? How can you put yourself in a position where you are going to stop? Stop. <laughs> For those of you not watching, he was banging the table again. It's a shocking revelation. Yeah. So yeah. It, that, that's my thought. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, one of the things that I know we'll get away from this pretty quick, but one of the things that I was, that was coming to mind was that we have a lot of people, well, uh, there are a lot of people out there, and maybe some of you guys are listening, <clears throat> that see things in our society that you don't like but you kind of live in the realm of just complaining about it, you know, and that's just kind of it. Uh, and I've been there. So I, I get it where, uh, and then you get some people that are just cup is always half full. And so you are not, you can't look and go, you know what? Something might actually be broken in our society. Um, <clears throat> so what I really appreciate about Nehemiah is that he's able to look at this and go, you know, think something is broken literally physically um, and, and, and even beyond that. And he has emotion about it. <clears throat> he cares about his brothers. He cares about the Israelites. But then instead of just complaining about it, he goes and does something about it. You know, he, he, he takes that next step. He, and, and as we'll see, has a plan for it. It's not just, yeah, you know, kids these days, you know, and what, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. You know, it's just, it's way beyond that. So or the thing that I was going to say is there are a lot of people that like to oppose, but not propose. And so they will oppose something and I don't like that legislation and I don't like that law and I don't like that thing that's happening in society. But it's like, do you have a proposition for something better? Mm-hmm. And most of the time they don't. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I was going to say like, what, what an amazing lesson that we get here just in a few short verses of how personal God wants us to be with him. And this, this idea that we pray one time and if God doesn't answer, and I, and I, and I say this as someone who has been there, like I pray and I don't get an answer or I don't get an answer that I want. And I, you know, I just, okay, I'm done. Pray one time. I, it took 30 seconds and then you move on with your life and then you don't ever pray for that again. Yeah. And here he is, he is praying. I, I would imagine hourly, daily, like he's just con- in constant prayer. And, um, I, I was listening to, uh, my pastor at church, uh, talk about how this, this, this is kind of like the story that Jesus tells in Luke 18, where the judge that doesn't fear God, he's not a good judge, but that old lady just keeps coming back to him. Give me justice. Give me justice against my adversaries. And finally, he, he decides, okay, I don't fear God, but you are just continuously coming. You've worn me down. I'm just going to give you justice. How much then does a God that loves us and cares for us want us to pray and want to give us the things that we ask for. What a, what a, what a really cool lesson we learned in just a couple sentences. Hey, la- last night, uh, one the kids wanted to go get ice cream. I mean, they really wanted to get ice cream and, and I answered them the first time. Well, I mean, three minutes later, it's like, dad, I'm going to get ice cream. <laughs> and then like three minutes later, it's like, dad, I'm not what? sure you meant the first time. Can we, can we talk, talk about it again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that persistence yeah. is a reflection of where our heart is. Uh, and the passion that we feel towards whatever that is. So. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, there's so much here, as you can see, we're, we're a few verses in and we're, 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 we're going to go along with this one guys. Cause uh, there's not a whole lot going on in chapter three of Nehemiah sort of. So Matt, if you could read verses five and six real quick, cause we'll oh, I'm sorry. Or go ahead, Zach. Yeah. I do want to say one thing here. 
So another application question is when I became a Christian, what I was confronted with was this line that I knew I had to cross publicly. And I knew that there's potentially sacrifices that I was making. Right. I knew the fact that I was going to give my life to Christ in front of a congregation of people that know me, that know my background, that know all sorts of things, whether I'm proud of those or not proud or whatever. And I'm sure I make things bigger in my mind. But as I think about this, it's one of those examples of following Christ and God in a way that is definitely going to change your life and have ramifications. So I would encourage anybody listening to this to think through from a faith perspective, because I know there's been a lot of questions as I've listened to the podcast about where am I really at? What does that mean? And all that sort of thing. And for me personally, it's when I started making decisions that I knew were going to change my life. And that was pretty scary. And I think that's what this does for me. And that's where everything kicks off. And then God takes them and amazing things happen. And it's where your feet planted, because it's like, if you have your feet planted firmly in midair, you're probably going to have some issues, but he's planted firmly in the creator God of the universe. And so that that's going to be helpful as he's trying to build what he's going to be going on into the future. So let's go to verses five and six. Okay. So verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So just in these two verses, there's a lot there. So we have his request. It's interesting to me, perhaps it shouldn't be, that he mentions Judah and not Jerusalem right. by name. Yep. Okay, Because again, if we, we see in Ezra, um, Ezra 4, verses 21 and 22, where Artaxerxes has already said, nah, we're not rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So he mentions Judah not Jerusalem by name. He mentions to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. But then, but let's say I'm, I'm you know, reading too much into it. Let's say Artaxerxes obviously knows he's talking about Jerusalem. In verse six, we have this thing in parentheses, the queen sitting beside him. There's something there that, why did they note that here? Why did Nehemiah note that? And it implies that the queen had influence over King Artaxerxes in this area about feelings towards the Israelites or feelings towards the Jews or something like that. And so maybe there's a softening of heart happening here because this is basically the same exact request that he had dealt with before. And so that that's an interesting thing as well. And Artaxerxes question to him is how long will you be gone? He basically knows in that moment he has gotten his request and now it's time to go over the logistics. And this was not going to be a short thing because as we see here in a little bit, when he actually does travel to Jerusalem, that's a three months journey. Right. And like, he's one of the most important people in the court. That's not family, right? He's the cupbearer to the king. And maybe Artaxerxes doesn't know this, but Nehemiah is requesting to rebuild the walls. Yes. But also to rebuild the people, right? To rebuild their, their attitude and their positivity and their ability to, to rely on themselves. So he's asking a lot right here. I I was just struck just even in those two verses that there was just so much there. So he, as the cupbearer to the king, he has a lot of jobs. Like he's, he's kind of the head of the household, like, like a butler, like he's the head servant basically. So he had a lot of responsibilities. It wasn't just, I'm losing the guy who brings me my cup. Like I'm losing the guy that manages my affairs here and a guy I trust not with not his the, life, with his life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I couldn't find anywhere where this was a thing, but like you look where he says about 
the land of my father's graves or the city of my father's graves. I think that's a, an appeal to Artaxerxes human side because Xerxes, the, the, the God King from the story 300, um, which is, it's, that's still crazy for me to think about. He was killed by the head of his bodyguard. So Artaxerxes father was, was killed by betrayal. And so he has, he has seen his father, killed or or no his father was killed i think he's appealing to his human nature like you love your father i love i love my father and my my forefather so i think there's i think there's some play to his his human yeah and I, and I think I, I agree with kyle i i i tend to believe that he was very strategic mm-hmm. too and just i'm, I'm gonna say it this way yeah i'm not gonna give it away all at once you know i don't need to, i don't want to cause you know other feelings to come right. up, and, you know. So he's a he's smart just, dude. He is a smart. Well, dude. break it down because what he did is, <clears throat> is tactical from a tactical standpoint is extremely good. Mm-hmm. He had all that pressure, and then he comes in and he asks some questions that go straight to the emotional side, and he gets he gets this king to start thinking with his emotions, which is how you get somebody on your side. And he does it in the form of a question that's non-threatening. Yeah, that's very smart. And then after that. You know, he, he basically ingratiates him and does a few things. So I think, I think his instant message made an impact. Well, he, he had prepared, he was praying. He, he didn't, he didn't just find out and go, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta go. Like he prepared, he had months and months to prepare what he was going to do. And so how often do we just hastily make a decision or go into something based on emotion? When Matt, his preparation is proven in verses seven and eight yep. because he wasn't ready with his first request. Hey, can I take a leave of absence to go back to the, the city of my forefathers? He had two, th- he had two other bullets ready to go. Mm-hmm. So the next bullet he shot was, Hey, can you give me letters of safe passage? Because guys go look at a map from this time period. He's going from Susa to Jerusalem. It's going to take about three months. Not a whole lot of happy people in, be- in between, you know, Susa and Jerusalem. That was like, yeah, just come on, walk on through. And so he asked for that. And the king said, yeah, sure. But then this is the one where it really showed forethought. He asked for timber from the king's forest. Now, we don't know exactly which forest that was, how close it was to Jerusalem, all those types of things. But that request showed that he knew exactly what, what, because imagine you don't know you're going to get a yes to your first question. And so you don't prepare any other questions. And then you're like, oh, uh, okay, cool. I, I have a leave of absence. All right. I guess I'm leaving in the morning. And then it's like, okay, well, that probably wouldn't have worked out well. He probably would have never made it to Jerusalem. And then the other thing that that's interesting about all this is when, when the king says yes to those three requests to leaving, to the the letters of safe passage and to the timber, he is committing financial, political, and military support to the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. That that is an enormous <laughs> thing because we can see even in verse nine where you know they basically had the king's letters and he sent officers because he didn't just send Nehemiah with letters because some people were like I can't even read that and then you know off with the head but he's like no he's sending his people with them um, and I guess you know that section there guys verses five through eight it's a really good apologetic for using secular means to do the will of the father mm-hmm. and this is where people get really uncomfortable because we can't say by any way shape or form that King Artaxerxes was a godly man. He saw himself as a God King, as, as Matt said earlier, but Nehemiah is literally using him to do what God told him to do. And so it kind of goes back to, you know, where I, where I've learned about accept, reject, redeem. There are things in society that you can just accept outright, like the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's things that you have to reject outright, like, you know, Satanism or demonology. And then there's things that you can redeem. 
So maybe it's the the words of Jordan Peterson, who is not by you know strict definition a Christian, but his words can be redeemed for the use of God. And King Artaxerxes, who did some very ungodly things, <laughs> right, in terms of, you know, the God creator of the universe, but it, he was able to be used for God's purposes here. I, yeah, I've thought about that a little bit. I mean, if you start down that path, just think about how many things you use on a daily basis that are a result of somebody that's secular or whatever the case may be. I mean, you can't get away from it. It's just a fact. And everything technically, according to this book, is created. So it all serves God's purpose in some sense. So I think that distinction for me is still a little bit difficult as I think through how that works. Because I think the reality is that this looks like reality to me, you know? Well, and just like uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, I think, in this, in this yeah. text and in this moment, Artaxerxes' heart was softened, you know? And it, that was a work of the Lord yeah. that had been prepared for that moment too. So. Yeah, I think <clears throat> Nehemiah being in tuned with God's will and God's plan, like he, he obviously knew the scripture and in chapter one, he's talking about like our sin, um, people, we turn away from God and you, you scattered us. But now I know that your plan is for, for us to, to gather back and for you to call us back to uh, the promised land. I know I'm par- paraphrasing chapter one, but like he knew and it's not a, I'm just going to ask for what I want. Like James talks about, um, you have not because you ask not and that, which is not like, okay, you didn't ask for a million dollars. So you don't have it. It's, you don't pray the right way. Like you're not praying in tune with the God, with God's will. And if, if we are, if we are pursuing holiness, our desires will begin to match God's will. And I, that like, what a perfect example of that. Like he was shaken by under like knowing this stuff had happened and he desperately wanted what God had already prophesied. And so he was in tune with God. I, I think that's so you, I, you shouldn't miss that. You shouldn't miss that for sure. When it's where did his request lie? Cause at the very end of verse eight and the King granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Yeah. So it wasn't the King granted what I asked for. I am so awesome. Like, man, I did four months worth of planning and prayer. Look at me. Who wants to touch me? Anybody? Yeah. No, it's like for the good hand of my God was upon me. And there's so much there. Not the hand of God, the good hand of my God. Yeah. Right. And it was not just around. It was upon him in that moment. Yeah. And if we'll see, I think in the future that Ezra, it's the same thing with Ezra and it said the good hand of, of the Lord was on him. And then the next verse, it says, for Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. The idea being that there was a process, uh, but there was also some prerequisites um, to having the, the hand, the, good, the favor of God and his hand on him. So no doubt, we, you know, Nehemiah is living in that same uh, scope. Um, and has obviously done the work and set his heart towards the Lord, not towards himself, uh, in order to receive this. And I think that also brings up the point that there's no automatic happy ending because God's hand is upon you. Because we'll get there, but if you read Ezra, and as you get to the end of Nehemiah, like we're so used to in 2023, stories ending with a with a thump, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the cliffhanger from season two to season three. This is mind blowing like that. We're used to movies ending and just having being shocked, our minds being blown, right? Being very, very satisfied with that. There, These are not 
super satisfying endings where every loose end is tied up. Cause you know, that's, that's one big complaint that people have of shows, you know, that go five, six, seven seasons or something like that. And then there's too much left unresolved at the end of all these things. But it's like, if you look at history, cause again, they're, we're experiencing this story in an instant. They were experiencing it minute by minute, right? Yeah. They didn't realize the, the totality of the story that they were living in, but obviously God did. And even thousands of years ago, it's like, all right, I'm going to use this for my glory. And y'all don't really know. I just need y'all for a little bit. So if you chimps could just like get, get your crap together just for a little bit, like I'll show you my power just a little bit. And then we'll, we'll keep moving on down the road. I, I wanted to say something before we move away from him, him being called the cupbearer and how everything in the Bible points to Christ. Nehemiah is, he points to Christ as well. He's a deliverer of the people. Obviously he is not Christ and he has many faults, which we will find out, but he's a willing cupbearer. Christ bears the cup of our sin. And so he's willing to take on that role and then come deliver God's people. And I think that's not something we should miss also that even in the book of Nehemiah, it's all pointing to Christ and the deliverance of God's people in ways that just don't seem like they should happen. So, well, that also brings up a good point, <clears throat> excuse me. And in terms of how you guys study the Bible. So I have a, the reformation study Bible right here in the ESV. One thing that's interesting about the beginning, and you'll get this with different study Bibles, they'll all have a section to where it's like, you know, basically how does this book of the Bible point towards Christ? Mm. Because the gospels, it's fairly obvious some of the, you know, you know, probably. And then you have these letters from Paul. Those are decently obvious as well. <clears throat> but when you're reading through some of the Old Testament books, you're just like, how, how does this relate to a Middle Eastern Jewish construction worker being, you know, killed on a cross? Like, I don't get it. Like, and then, but like it all kind of, again, look at this as a collection of ancient transcripts, as Jordan Peterson would call a library. It's, this isn't a book, it's a library. That's all telling the same story. Right. And so you could think about it like maybe you're like one of those nerds that likes Marvel movies and all that kind of thing. But it's like those are all in the same universe telling the same redemptive story of Iron Man, apparently. But it's like that's the that's the thing that these are all existing in one universe to tell the exact same story. And so that when you start reading the Bible that way, that that's a big deal because you're looking for Christ, not for proof text, but you're looking for Christ in these stories so that you can see how God's redemptive work of sending his son as a sacrifice for us, you're seeing how that wraps in to the story of history as well. Um, Eric, can you read verse 10 for me, por favor? Do you need but, glasses? But no. <laughs> but I did, like, I did forget oh, Eric, my glasses. Come on. Oh, my, oh, my oh no, do I didn't hear it. No, it's <laughs> forget it. Zach, you oh, read verse 10. On. No, no, you're fired. Get out of here, Zach. Verse 10. <laughs> Uh, but when Sanballat, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. When Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So the cool thing about that, there's not a whole lot mm. that we really need to camp on here, but this is where we can kind of see a little bit of foreshadowing. So we have Sanballat mm. and Tobiah. These are the guys that have influence in Jerusalem. Okay. They see some guy coming to town. They're like, who's this new guy with all these fancy letters from the king? And they're seeing an encroachment on their influence, right? And we've all experienced this. You, you're on a team, and you're the guy on the team, and some kid 
from some butthole town. He decides to come over into your your area. Now he's scoring goals. Now he's hitting home runs. Now he's smacking people. This is a problem for you. He's encroaching on your territory. Maybe it's a business, right? They've hired somebody that kind of looks like he's doing your job and crap, he's better at it. So they're encroaching on your territory. This happens in politics all the time as well. You thought you were influential, but no one's listening to you anymore. They're listening to the new guy. And so this is very, very important. And again, it's because these are people that had a tremendous amount of influence. But then we get into uh, verses 11 and 12 and... Browning, I'm, I'm tempted to bring you <laughs> off the bench. You know what? I'm bringing you out of the bullpen. Oh, yeah, let's let's read it. verses 11 and 12. We'll see how oh, this goes. Oh, man. You so, got this. so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. This is very, very important. Okay, we cannot skip this and miss this. This is a guy that for months, so now we're at the seven month mark. So it was four months of prayer, right? And preparation before he asked King Artaxerxes for permission. And then it took him at least three months to get from Susa to Jerusalem. Yeah, that wasn't an easy journey for sure. Right? That's another thing that gets lost here. It's yeah. like, he didn't just like teleport. Like he, yeah. he had to like- a, It wasn't a train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're seven months down the road. This guy is on a mission from God. He is sent. He has been equipped. He's been literally training for this his entire life. Another thing that gets lost here, he's been in the king's court for years. He's seeing how things work. He sees how influence works. It reminds me of the book, The Prince by Machiavelli. He probably knows how to influence people, win friends and influence people, but also to manipulate people, good and bad. Now he's in Jerusalem. And I'm going to be honest. If I were Nehemiah, I would kick that door down and be like, guys, I am here. Like y'all have been messed up for a long time. I'm going to fix it. Who wants to touch me? Right? Like that is the attitude, but he doesn't do that. His very first thing he is calculated. He's patient and he spends days just evaluating because he's never been to Jerusalem. He's never seen the walls. He's also never seen the ruin in the people's faces. Right? Yeah. And he's taking three days to marinate on really the totality of the task that's before him. I, and he, he probably could have. There's evidence that he could have come in and, like you said, kick the door down and say we could. Cause he had permission from the God of the known world. Like the Persian king said, go do this. He had written authority. He probably could have said, all right, guys, Artaxerxes said, let's go. Let's go. So that's an interesting point that he took. He took three days to just kind of observe. Yeah, I think it comes back. For me, it's always, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Mm-hmm. There's a big difference, right? And he gets here, and after this journey, he very quietly rests. And then we'll look at it. He looks around because he needs to assess what this is actually going to take before he can engender the people, I think, to really get involved. And the only way he gets this accomplished as a leader is by getting people really enrolled in this project mm-hmm. and excited about it. Of course, Some you know, buy-in. There, there's a God thing part of this too, but I think this goes back to what he did with the king being very, very sharp in terms of how he asked the question, how he got them involved and all that. And to your point, I hadn't thought of that. The fact that he's sitting in this court, absolutely, I'm sure. Uh, he got a major education day in and day out on how to make things happen. And patience typically is going to win the day. Yeah, I've got my sidebar thing, but uh, my, my father-in-law... I, I used to think that he didn't like me. I, I, now, I, I know that that was not true, 
uh, I just had to learn his style of thinking mm. and processing. He, he just, he's not a guy that just comes up and says, Hey, how was your day? You know, how, how's things going? How's work? Blah, you know, just not, that's not how that works. So when he wouldn't ask me questions, I'd be like, Oh, does he really like me? Does he really want me here? But here's what he would do. Um, invariably, if we were there for the weekend, <clears throat> he'd be doing his thing or whatever, but then he'd be like, Hey, 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 come here. I've got, I want to, I want to show you something I've been working on, something I've been thinking about. And then he would take me wherever that was. And it could have been some new thing he was doing outside with new equipment or whatever. It could have been something on the computer. But and then he wanted to tell me all about this thing he had figured out. And then he had thought through, they wanted to teach me and help me understand blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of how he loved on me was to do that very thing. So I just, I, in some respects, I just really appreciate the fact that Nehemiah was slow. I mean, he could have come in and pe people looked at him and be like, well, this guy's kind of a jerk. He's not really saying much, not doing much, but he's, what, what's he doing? You know, whatever. Um, but then boom, he, he comes with power. He comes with a plan and he gets people jazzed up to do the work. So sidebar to your sidebar, what if you've done all that patient observation of your father-in-law, <clears throat> excuse me, and he still seemingly doesn't like you asking for a friend? <laughs> Is that do you have any advice mm, for that? Well, yeah, no, no, I don't. Keep, Sorry. keep faithfully loving his daughter. Oh yeah, there you go. That's that's a good. That's, one. that's just good advice for anybody. <laughs> I figured to this. you would I'm, do that. I'm advice. not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I was just asking for the general public. But so I think the word that you could use, even going back to Zach's point is he was a very shrewd operator. And I was reminded of a story that I've heard Jocko Willink tell before of when he got a job as the Admiral's aide. And so, you know, in the Navy, this, I mean, this is a guy that's an operator. He wants to, he wants to go and, you know, you know, kill Mooge and that, you know, he wants to take care of business. Right. And here he is wearing a, wearing his dress uniform all day, every day, following the Admiral, Admiral around going to the same meetings as the Admiral. And so he's in meetings with the, the top, upper echelon of the United States military and the White House and, and all these different strategists, right? And his job was basically to sit in the corner and not say a damn thing. And that's what he did. And you could say, well, that sounds boring. Yeah, if you've got your brain turned off. But he was absorbing all of that. He was looking. He was watching. He was, he was taking in these lessons. And he, as he said before, he's like, in those moments, I was taking notes. And I was also making deposits that I would later use to help, you know, equip my teammates, to help equip the guys that are under my care. That's exactly what he did because he knew how to request things to where they would get approval. He knew how to wait and ask questions at the right time. Does this sound familiar? To where he yeah. would get the answer that he wanted. But it wasn't because he walked into that room and said, all right, here's my time to shine. I'm about to show these people how smart I am that I'm not just like some, you know, knuckle dragger. Like I need to show these guys what's up. Now he was all over it by just being patient and being shrewd. And for those that don't know that job came before he went back in the field in Iraq and led his teams. Right. So exactly. It has a great parallel to this for sure. hundred percent. And so where we get here is he's, he's in town. <clears throat> he's, he's doing inspections. That's what we see with verses, you know, basically 11 through 16. But we see a shift here with verse 17 in terms of how he's comporting himself and how he's operating. So uh, can you read verse 17 for me, Matt? Sure. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Go ahead and read 18 as well, oh, please. Sure. <clears throat> and I told them of the hand of my God 
that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. A lot here. Let's, let's go to verse 17. He shifts into politician mode. And I don't mean that in the modern sense of I'll say anything to get elected. I'll say anything to keep power. You know, just give me my chocolate chip ice cream and just, you know, let me be president again. Like <laughs> he shifts into political action. I'm just using examples, not from actual history, guys. Right. But 100%. at this point, it's important to note that they, they, they see that this city has likely been in ruins for about 150 years at this point. Not an in, insignificant period of time. And again, in this era, people weren't living into old age, right? If you were in your 50s, you were ancient, right? So this is multiple generations of people that have been beaten down mentally, right? And so you probably have seen this, is like you just assume things will continue and it's almost like you need somebody to grab you by the scruff of your shirt and shake you around a little bit and be like, no, no, this isn't happening anymore. So Nehemiah comes into town, he surveys, the walls, he surveys the people, and then he shifts and says, it's time to fix this. And again, I'm sure there, were, there was time here because we're just reading, you know, it's taking us 30 seconds to read, you know, verse 17 and verse 18, but this could have been days, weeks, months where he's convincing the people, no, this is what we need to do. And I know, we, you know, we don't need to get too terribly political here, but in our modern day and age, the party of whoever's in power decides what your pet projects are going to be, and you're just going to convince the public this is what we need to do. Whereas back in the day, you would try to convince the populace, this is what's best for you, and it's probably going to take some sacrifice. It's probably going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be best for everybody overall. So that's what we're going to do. So in that sense, in the most pure sense, he became a politician. And I, I feel like that's just a very, very important point here. He's also, he's also doesn't use the authority given to him by Artaxerxes. To, to say, let's do this. And what's yeah. interesting here is in the context of history, these people who live in Jerusalem, they live in a place that Nebuchadnezzar had, I mean, he destroyed the, the, the wall. He destroyed, he destroyed the city, right? And in, in those times when that kind of stuff happened, you would be looked upon as like, see, your God is not powerful. You serve a weak God who, who doesn't exist. Your city has, has been burned. Your walls have been broken down. And so they would have been ridiculed for continuing to serve a God who either, either doesn't exist, isn't powerful, or isn't there, or has left you. And so now he's saying, God will restore you, the same God that's being made fun of, basically. Like, and so it's interesting that he, he knows, I'm still appealing to the authority of the God of the universe not Artaxerxes, to get them to buy into what they're going to do. Well, look what he... Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Before, I'll go after you. Well, just to, just to build on that a little bit here, like you're saying, and both of you, he came in, he could have said, guys, do you see this, uh, this group from the king? And you know what I've been doing? You see these horse, all this stuff? We're going to make this happen. He doesn't do that. He, he's smart about it. And the first thing that he says when he engages the people after investigating what this is going to take, knowing that he's going to be personally involved, he does it the right way and says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the mm. gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of yeah. Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He gets them involved. I mean, it's that, that's leadership 101. Buy-in, right? yeah. Yeah. 
In in my world, this is called a soap note. So if you're in the medical <laughs> profession, then you know what I'm talking about. And so the, there are oftentimes are people that will walk in as a new patient, and I'm in orthopedics, so um, th- they walk in and I immediately know what's wrong with them. Like they almost don't have to say anything. I've, I've, I've just kind of read maybe over their chart and I already know what's going on. But that's not fair to them, and it's not fair to the process for me to just jump to conclusions. So the, the S stands for subjective, and so we, we, we work on feeling. We work on history. We work on, like, how did this happen, you know, whatever. And it, that's an opportunity for me to get into their shoes a little bit and to sometimes hurt with them because I know they're hurting. Um, and that starts to build rapport, right? But it yeah. helps me understand the actual problem. But, um, but that kind of lives in a subjective realm, you know, so there's emotion with that. In the objective component, which is the O, it's actually figuring out what structurally is problematic, soft tissues, joints, whatever. And then the, and the assessment is like, okay, what do I do with that S and that O? You know, what does that actually mean? What, is all, what does it all come down to? Has this, is this something that's been coming on for years? Is this something that happened in a motor vehicle accident last week? So I assess all the information and then finally, at the very end, it's like my it's it's my time to sell myself and 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 give them a plan and tell them, hey, this is going to take time. This may not be easy. Your your healing may be up and down and up and down depending on the day and the week. But this is a worthy cause. This is something for you to do. You know. But I miss a lot if I just run in there and be like, I know what's going on with you. Let's just get to work. Well, your assumptions can be right but your assumptions sh- should guide your questions. And I think what you're saying, a prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Mm. And that's true in the medical world, but that's also true here. And, you, you know, just back to, you know, verse 11, when he is out, like he knew it was wrong. He knew what the prescription was, but he still went and diagnosed. He still went and assessed. And there wasn't, he let, he, I, I think he let his assumptions guide the questions that he was asking. And I, I think that's a really important thing to remember. There, there's a, there's a, an amount of patience that's needed, even if we think we know. And I'm sure you like, yeah, that guy's got this, but you still are patient enough to go, okay, I'm going to ask some questions. We're going to figure this out. And then uh, you, you're probably right a lot of the times, but you were, you were able to ask questions and, and really get to the heart of it. And then that patient is like, man, this guy, this guy's good. Well, I'm sure you guys have never made this mistake, but have you ever known exactly what was wrong in a situation with your wife? And you just <clears throat> walked right in and said, look, boo, I know exactly what's wrong. I know exactly how you're feeling. I know exactly how to fix it. And then you fix it. And she's like, oh my gosh, my darling, thank you so much for doing that. Has that ever happened in the history of humanity? Mm. No. So that's the other thing. Even if you know what the solution needs to be, you think Nehemiah showed up to Jerusalem with no idea what he was going to do, but he had to, he had to wait for the right opportunity that we're getting, we're seeing a trend with Nehemiah here for the right opportunity to say, Hey guys, this is what we need to do. Because if you just waltz in as a stranger, like imagine being in a board meeting, like whether you're on a 501c3 or you're in a business or something like that. And it's your first meeting at the board meeting. And while the CEO or the chairman of the board is starting the meeting, you go, ah, ah, yeah, uh, cool. Thanks, uh, thanks, guy. Uh, would you mind go getting me coffee and a bagel? All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. And you just pull out your marker and you start writing on the whiteboard. Odds are not going to go supremely well for you. And so I think that that is a very important thing to note here, especially for someone like me that likes to draw conclusions very, very quickly. And like, let's just get to the point. Like, let's just figure this out, how we can fix it. That's not what he did. And what that leads to is immediate and positive action from your constituency. And we see that 
at the end of verse 18. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Okay, mm. so we don't know exactly what that means. We don't know exactly how long that means, what it means, or what the level of preparation was. But the note that I wrote down as I was reading this is so many men strengthen nothing mm. and they want everything to be good. So, Browning, you see this in your life. People want their shoulder to not hurt, but they don't want to work at it, right? Exactly. They want their heart to work better, but cardio and dieting and not eating Cheetos and smoking cigarettes, you're crazy. Why would you suggest I do that? I'm an American. Like, it's that type of attitude. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want and you're going to fix it, right? I'm going to do what I want and doctor, you're just going to write me a script to fix all of my bad decisions. And the same thing here. Men want things. They, they may, they'll say that they want their house to be a spiritually positive place. They want their kids to be catechized and they want there to be a positive environment, but then they don't spend any time catechizing their children. They don't yeah. study the Bible with them. They don't pray with their wives. They don't go to church. They don't value church. They value the lake. They, they value going to ball games. Like those are the things that they value. And then we're seeing in these moments that you need to strengthen your hands for the good work, whatever the good work is. But we're in this super lazy malaise in modernity to where it's like, it's so easy to just not do anything and just to, you know, use an app on your phone to get your food or whatever the thing is that we think, oh, there's an easy button process to all this. And I don't actually need to be strengthened spiritually, mentally, or physically. Well, and yesterday I had, a, <laughs> I had a patient that transferred to my office and you know, it's standard. I'm like, okay, so um, when did you hurt yourself? It's just six months ago. And uh, you've been at physical therapy? Yes. What have they been doing with you? And um, she goes, well, you know, they can bring me in. They maybe like kind of rub on me a little bit, put some heat on me a little bit, a little bit of uh, IFC. And then that's about it. I'm like, wow, that's called fake and bake, you know, and uh, that's not going to work. And I was like, and how are you feeling? She goes, I feel about the same as I did about six months ago. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and I, what was hilarious, I, sh I started showing her some exercises and, I was, and she was kind of like, I could tell she was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I was like, okay, we're going to ramp this up a little bit. So we go over to like this other area and I'm like, all right, we're going to do some warm up stuff. And we just started going after it, man. I could tell that she was she was like, what? I actually have to put some effort into this? Yeah. You're not just going to like rub on my back a little bit and then put heat on me? I, I think we no. can turn God into a genie and think like, okay, if I pray, he'll just let, he'll do this or he'll make this happen. And I think Nehemiah is just a great book of, obviously God is working and God is moving things and he's doing things. And the, the old cliche comes to mind, God can move mountains, but he expects us to bring a shovel and I think this is a really good example of that. Like, you know, a guy that, a guy that struggles with pornography and goes to, to someone who has, who has killed that sin in his life. How do you, how did you do it? When he doesn't get the answer of, oh, I just prayed and God took it away from me. I, like, surely that can happen, right? But most times it's probably something like, well, you know, I got rid of, I, I put, I put a, you know, a accountability software on my phone and my computer. I started meeting with accountability partner. I started uh, reading my Bible, reading the Bible. <laughs> I started doing these things that like put some, put some accountability and some work into my life. And then I feel like probably the, the reaction a lot of times is it uh, was, is there some, is there something else? Like maybe I can talk to somebody else about this. This doesn't really seem like something that I want to do. And it's like, okay, but yeah, it's going to be tough. <laughs> Like catechizing your kids is hard, but 
It's also it's, worth it. It's also Very worth much. it. So what's funny about that is I will get asked from time to time, and I just had a DM from a stranger, just a guy that listens to the show about a week ago, and I will get asked like, hey, Kyle, you've mentioned before that you used to look at porn and masturbate and that that's no longer part of your life in any way, shape, or form. Like, how'd you do that type of thing? What they're actually asking me is what accountability software did you use? Like, what method did you use to pray? Like, what did, were you delivered from this? That's actually what they're asking. And we love to overcomplicate things. Because being in shape is not hard to understand how you become that way. You have to move more and eat less, typically. Now that you can move some stuff here or there and you can optimize. And if you're going to be a professional athlete, obviously there's a whole lot more that goes into that. But at the end of the day, it's not complicated. It's just difficult. That's kind of what you were saying, Matt. It's not complicated. It's difficult. And so what I told this guy is I said, oh, the best way to stop looking at porn. I was like, you ready? Lean in. Stop looking at porn. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, I also told him, I was like, you don't have a porn problem. You have a jerking off problem. Like, cause you don't need one without the other. Like porn is a masturbatory aid and that is how you are using it. So a great way to stop looking at porn is to stop jerking off. And it was just kind of like, uh, you could just see like, he was like shocked by that. But it's like Jocko again, Hey man, how do I do my more pull-ups? You should, probably start by doing more pull-ups. How do I get better at running? You should run. How do I learn to get better at jujitsu? You should probably go to class and like learn how to grapple and, you know, fight people. Like those are the types of things we love to overcomplicate things. Can you imagine that the same thing was happening during Nehemiah's age in Jerusalem? For how many generations were people like, oh gosh, I really wish these, we could rebuild these walls. It'd be so much cooler if we lived in a city where the walls were up. Gosh, darn it. I guess I'll go on about my day. And it's like, I, I, you got to rebuild the walls at some like point. You're kind of being sarcastic, but I think that's really spot on. Like how, like, and, and I say that as someone who's been there and if, you know, I find myself often, I want this, but like, uh, <laughs> do I want it that bad? Yeah. And I mean, you get to choose your heart. There's a difference. Like Jocko, how do I, how do I wake up early? Wake up early every day. Like you're saying, right? Yeah. I do think, and I'm no expert but from a porn standpoint, it seems like there's something more sinister, satanic happening in that realm. So I think it's important that you do emphasize prayer and reading your Bible and everything that you just said. Mm-hmm. It may be more than just you having discipline in that sense. To a degree, here's what I would say. There's demonic activity happening there, certainly. Yeah. Right? So reading the scriptures, praying, getting counsel, having accountability partners, you know, having software, I'm telling you guys, all that stuff is valuable, but you also know how to get around all of it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I know this is awkward, not for some people at the table, you do have free will to make decisions. <laughs> Looking, looks at Matt, but it's like, you do have free. No, we're not going to go there. We're, we're towards the end here. My laptop's open, which is the signal that we're almost wrapped up. Stop. Shh, shh. But you have free will. And so at the end of the day, this is why I tell people, I was like, you can have the best software. You have covenant eyes. You can have guys that are literally checking in with you constantly. You can have guys where before you're alone, before your wife and kids are out of the house, which is the time when you would normally look at porn and masturbate, you could tell guys, hey, I'm about to be alone. Pray for me. You could have those guys check in that night and check in the next day. And you have, you know, yep. carrot or stick consequences. Like you, you could have all that. But you get to decide whether or not you do that. Mm. Right? And so... You could have the best path towards success, but you have to choose to go down that path. And so that's not me disagreeing with you. That's me adding even more emphasis that at the end of the day, 
You know how to get around your software. You know how to lie to the people in your life. You know how to hide it. You're an expert at it. You've been doing it your entire life. And guess what? You're going to make all the excuses possible and you're going to be right back where you said you didn't want to be. That's the problem that I see with a lot of people is they're liars. I really want to be in shape. No, you don't. You haven't exercised in months. You like the idea of being in shape, but you have no discipline to actually do that. I don't feel bad for you. So like when these people like, you know, they spend 40 years not taking care of themselves and they get some sort of debilitating disease that came from them neglecting themselves. It's like, I don't feel bad for you. Like, I'm sorry, you did this to yourself. Like if I were to take a drill and drive it through my hand on purpose, you shouldn't feel bad for me that I have to go through rehab and potentially get surgery because I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I chose to do that. And so again, there, there is a, an element here that most guys want to think their circumstances control them. Now, there are things that just happen to you that you can't control, but most of the negativity that would befall a person in this world is by their own hand and by their own doing because they made a bunch of bad decisions that led them to that moment where they were even susceptible to that temptation or susceptible to that disease or susceptible to that ailment. And so I'm not trying to diminish the power of God, the power of prayer, the power of, you know, warring in the spiritual realm, but that's just the reality of kind of where we're at here. Now, guys, as we, we wind to a close here with Nehemiah 2, this is where we start naming the, the people that are really going to be big in terms of the, uh, the negative tension in this situation. So we've already heard about Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, but then we're also introduced to Geshem the Arab, and they're all ready to go in terms of how can we stop this from happening. An interesting thing as I studied this is Nehemiah is literally surrounded by people that don't want him to do this because Sanballat's influence is north of Jerusalem. Tobiah's influence is east of Jerusalem. Geshem's influence is south of Jerusalem. He is literally surrounded by people whose only job is just to naysay and be like, man, I don't want y'all to do that. And it's like, it's not just one guy. Like all these people have people, right? So if someone says, oh, you know, Joe Biden's against me, it's not Joe Biden, it's the administration. Oh, you know, uh, Donald Trump was against me. It's not just Trump, it's the entire administration. The same thing is happening here. So he gets there, he's doing the Lord's work, and it should be smooth sailing from there, right? That, that wouldn't be much of a story. No, he's got people that are really trying to contradict what he's trying to do. And, and the point is, is that you're, you're going to encounter opposition. When you, when you do something virtuous, worthwhile, there will be opposition. So plan for it. And then we can look, we see that. I was just looking back up earlier. I was like, oh, SWOT analysis looked like a perfect SWOT analysis. You know, uh, Nehemiah knew of the threats that were going to come. And he was already planning for that. Uh, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he knew that there would be others that were, were, were less predictable, but he, was already, he already had his mindset. Uh, and, and just one more thing. And I, and I, I just watched with my son uh, the book of Eli, and I told some oh, of you guys yeah. about that. And I was just reminded of Denzel Washington. Every time he met somebody, well, where are you headed? Well, I'm headed west, you know. And and then f- finally, about midway through the, the the movie, you hear kind of the why he's heading west and the and the vision that he had and mm-hmm. the purpose that was placed on him and the promise that was given him that he would be protected. And and I mean, he was just so set. And I'm just gonna I'm going west, I'm just going west. And then God will protect me. He told me I would be protected from harm, you know, and of course you see the old movie and everybody's trying to kill him, you know, but he, he, he he's, well, I'm not going to 
Gotta give it away. I mean, it's like 13 the movie's years ago. Really old, so you, no spoiler alert, you guys. If you have not watched that movie, like fast forward, but go ahead and make your point. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that was the point. It's just that uh, I feel like Nehemiah was kind of in that realm. He just, you know, it was like, this is what the Lord has set on, on me to do. This is how I've, I've found favor in His eyes. This is where He's placed me, and this is what I'm bringing with me, which is like you know all the wood and blah blah blah. And I think that is what you know when we have a test, when we have passion, and we have a testimony um, behind that. You know that I think that's inspiring to people, um, and I, I think those people saw him and his passion. It, it probably almost radiated in some respects. Um, so. Well, and just side note, the statute of limitations on spoiler alerts is about a decade. So if you're about to describe a scene from The Godfather, and if you say, spoiler alert, no, 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 no. you're not playing by the rules, but Matt, go ahead. I mean, when you said, when you talked about them being from different, like they're surrounding him, I, I immediately thought of Psalm 22. So I turned to that. Deliverance is not easy. Like God delivering his people is something that he will do and we know the end of the story and it's something that happens, but there, that doesn't mean that there's not um, obstacles. And so Psalm 22 talks about it a couple of places. Many bulls encompass me, a strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They're open wide, their mouths at me like a, a ravening and roaring lion. And then it goes on to say, for dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And there's this picture, again, I think, we should be looking to how this points towards Christ and our own salvation and how, how we interact with what the Bible tells us about us is he went to do God's work, but there are still like dogs and bulls encompassing him. There's going to be obstacles. I would add one thing to that, which is, and this is coming from uh, one of the guides that I read, but it says not only was Nehemiah able to challenge his own people, but he was able to stand up against the enemy and deal effectively mm. with their opposition. Just as soon as God's people step out by faith to do his will, the enemy shows up and tries to discourage them. So for anybody that's, that's leading teams or participating in teams, I think this is very important. It's because we've talked a lot about, I, I feel like God's getting me to do this and do all that. It's very difficult to get a team pointed in the right direction in the midst of so many other challenges that are occurring. And in order for this to truly be effective, it goes back to what this is saying, what Jocko says, other people, you've got to get people on the same team working with you towards the same goal. Uh, so I think as I read this, it was just, it was like, wow, you know, this, this tells me how difficult this must have been and what he was dealing with. Well, and Zach, your point on opposition is very well taken and probably a great place to end this because, guys, if you make a change in your life, I've gotten a lot of messages over the years about, oh, gosh, you know, you're right. I, I finally did, I decided I was going to get in shape or man, I have not been taking my relationship with my wife seriously, man. I've not been catechizing my children, that type of thing. And wouldn't you know it as if it was part of the plan, they immediately run into a brick wall, yep. right? Maybe it's that their wife doesn't really care to work on their relationship right now. Well, I do. So I thought you would, or, or maybe they get an injury, you know, right when they're starting to get in shape. Or they hit that plateau, you know, when people start losing a lot of weight and then they hit the plateau and then they don't lose anymore. And there's always something that's going to happen. It's almost inevitable. And, or, you know, it's something not related to the thing. So you decide you're going to get in shape and then, you know, your father gets cancer and all of a sudden you're like trying to work out, but also be a caregiver. There's a lot of those types of things. Expect it. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think Nehemiah showed up in Jerusalem and expected to be, you know, greeted as a, a conquering king? No. 
He he expected this. Again, we don't see that in the text, so I'm read I'm isogeting that into the text. But I, I you got to know for a planner that he knew that he was going to walk in there and that the local governors and influencers in that area were not just going to bow down and be like Nehemiah, you're the greatest. Just let us know what we can do to help. And so for all of you guys that are moving in that direction, just understand that those things will happen to you. And I've heard other people talk about it before. Is like Satan's not worried about you until he's worried about you. Okay. So when you're a non-Christian, he doesn't really have to worry about you. You've been romanced by the world. You've been romanced by these other, you know, a biblical, you know, a godly, you know, worldviews and philosophies. And now all of a sudden you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're doing all those things. Go back to the screw tape letters. You're, you're act, you're seeing this with Wormwood and you're seeing this with, with those types of individuals. It's like, now you're in the fight. Okay. You yeah. weren't in the fight before, so you shouldn't expect slings and arrows heading your way, but now you're in it. But guys, oh, we're going to have to, I, I just, wanted, I was going to, okay, I, I, fine. I just wanted, I just wanted <laughs> that, to, that he, was ending with a thump. Well, you know? he, like, well, this is, this is a, th- he ends, he ends that and responds with the perfect, the God of heaven will make us prosper mm-hmm. and we, his servants will arise and build. Yeah. And there's this God will, God will prosper us, but we are also going to do the work. What a perfect response to their, you know, coming in to try to, to foil this, this whole plan. Even the last part, Matt, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. It's like, if you're wondering where you're at in this setup there, that's the gauntlet. Yeah. yeah, That, that is is, absolutely the gauntlet. I read that. I'm like, dang. Yeah. Guys, there's, there's so much in Nehemiah too. Again, if if you were uh, at all hesitant, anybody in the audience as to why I said Nehemiah was one of my favorite books, you know, this is one of those chapters that should really, really Mm. allow you to understand that more, but we're going to have to leave it there for now, but come back next Sunday where we're going to dig into Nehemiah three. And you might look at Nehemiah three and read Nehemiah three and be like, what in the world are these guys going to do with that? Guys, we're wizards over here. We're just, (laughs) the smartest dudes that have ever spoken it. Stop it, Eric. We are the smartest guys that ever said words into a microphone. So we're going to absolutely blow your guys' mind. So make sure you read that so you're prepared for next week. But before I let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only link I've got for you today is a link to our donation page. Guys, the way that we're able to pull things off like the forging table, all the stuff that we're going to be working on into the future is because we have guys just like you that are donating. We have guys giving five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, whatever they can do. And it's going directly to support the things that are going into your ear holes right now. So if you want to see us equip guys like you around the globe to be able to push back darkness, please go to that link. It's on daunted.life backslash donate and hop on board. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.